Hi, this is the Unit Podcast. I am Jorri van der Kok. Do you always need extra coffee on a Monday? Then this podcast is for you. Together with Bas Fink, I spoke with Erik Roebroek about his company, Meaningful Work. Enjoy the show. Eric, welcome. Thank you for joining us on this uh, episode of the Unit Podcast, the first of this um, academic year. Thank you. Um, you are a master graduate in mechanical engineering. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you're not a mechanical engineer anymore. Um, instead, you have meaningful work, or you, yeah, your company is called Meaningful Work. Yes, that's right. Can yeah. you quickly can you introduce yourself and uh, explain what you're doing and yeah, yeah, I how can. we got here? Um, yeah, so I'm indeed a, um, a master graduate in mechanical engineering. Um, but already during my studies, I realized that that's probably not was going to be the field that I was going to be working in. Um, because I was, I was feeling that it was kind of too narrow. I always wondered, why are we building this stuff instead of, yeah, let's build this stuff. Um, and so later on, I've been working in, um, in a corporate, uh, corporate environment. And also found out that that was not what, what I wanted to be doing. Um, and eventually after um, well, a, a long process and a lot of conversations, um, I found out that I was actually missing meaning in my work life. Uh, and not only I found out that I was missing that, but I also found out that uh, a lot of other people were missing that. Um, and that was actually the, the point where I thought, okay, you know, we need to change that. Um, because not only are we missing meaning in our work lives, um, there is a lot of stuff, important stuff in the world that we should be doing and could be doing, uh, and we're not doing that. Basically, uh, most of us are working in money-making machines, um, and I think a lot of people don't like that. And if so many people don't like that, we should change that. So that's why I found it meaningful work. And with that, now uh, we give now mainly workshops uh, to try to change the concept of work. Um, and in a later stage, we also hope to found a consulting that basically does the same, but then changes organizations from the inside. And um, you say uh, you were you were missing meaning, and then do you mean a, a larger mission of the company or the project you are working on, or do you mean a more personal meaning? I, I think there, there, I can imagine there's two levels of this uh, this meaning in uh, in work. Both of them. <laughs> I can be very uh, clear about that. Yeah, and I, I think it's very cool that you, you recognize that. It, it, it's actually something that I've realized also later on that uh, meaning can go in the, you, you, can have, you can find meaning in the, in the small way. Let's say that thing that you deliver to your customer or that you bring into your team, um, you know, so that can give you a sense of meaning. But then in the end, what you contribute to, let's say the big pile, <laughs> um, that, that could or should be meaningful as well. So, and I was missing both of that, yeah. So this is, I've, I, a while ago I read the, the book, I think, uh, Start With Why by uh, Simon Sinek. Maybe I'm pronouncing his name wrong, but um, that he also talks about that if you want to uh, build a, a good company, you should start with, start with the why, so why are your people there and then keep them intrinsically motivated. Is it something along the same lines? Um, uh, let's say when I saw his, uh, his TED talk, um, I, I was actually, for me, it was, a, in, 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 they say in German, I think, an aha erlebnis, a feeling of um, eureka. <laughs> this is what I've been feeling all along. Yeah. Um, 
for me, I, I guess I've always thought about the why. As I said, also during my studies, I was always thinking, why are, you know, if, if we create something technical, is that something we need? Or yeah, I was always thinking about this why. And uh, yeah, I think if you start with the why, um, that, that it, 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 it not always makes it easier, but I think it's a necessary question we need to ask ourselves um, in order to, to be sustainable in the future. And do you have that? What is your meaning uh, now? You, you have your own company. How do you find meaning in, in yeah. that? Yeah. Well, actually, what I, what I found out by, by doing that, uh, by doing what I do now, um, is that uh, for me, um, the meaning is in, in, let's say, the other view on things I have. <laughs> so um, when it comes to... Um, you know, always asking this why question, being maybe very critical also about that, but also, um, you know, telling a different story um, because I have the feeling that um, we can really change the way we view work. And I guess I, I do that myself, but I think if, if we would, you know, <laughs> start doing that more and more altogether, um, then that is where the real change starts to happen. So. For me, um, that's my, I, I think that's my why. I want to be telling that other story um, that gives people something to, you know, gives, gives them a different perspective on what we're doing right now and also gives them a, a different story on how we can approach the future. And that is something that, that I think is spe specifically something that I could be doing since I'm always this critical. <laughs> Critical thinker and yeah, I guess so. Yeah, and you talk about uh, misconceptions in what uh, work is. What uh, misconceptions do people have of meaningful work? Well, not necessarily. They don't. I wouldn't say they necessarily have misconceptions on meaningful work. But I do think that when it comes to work, uh, we have a we have a huge legacy, right? We come uh, from hundreds of years where, at least for us in the Western world, uh, work was something that you needed to do to survive. Uh, it was, as, as people still say, uh, you know, it puts, the, it puts your food on the table. Um, and, and I think that is very meaningful in, in, that, you know, um, in that situation. I think, however, now, uh, already for the last, let's say, 70 years, um, we've become richer and richer, but we haven't become happier, actually we've become a little bit less happy. So I think that what we're doing is we're still in the same survival mode. We're still trying to, um, you know, have security and have money. <laughs> um, but actually, we have that already. Uh, and then if you, if you take it too far from there, and if you keep on trying to make this money and trying to take the security, what you're actually um, not seeing is that there's other needs for you and the people around you and maybe society as a whole. And that is now conflicting. So let's say if you have your income, you're safe, you're secure, your family is secure. It means that from that point on, you could be doing something that's, very mo that, that's more relevant than only surviving. And I think that's where a lot of people feel they have that possibility, but they don't know how to seize that opportunity. And, and that is something that I, you know, I would like to make them aware of. There is, um, there is an opportunity for you to take it further, to go from survival to 
really living and really contributing something to the world. Um, and I think that, so, so in terms of the misconception, it's um, that we, we keep thinking in the way we thought in the past, and it's not applicable anymore. All right. So you uh, give workshops, you uh, train people, you try to, or you tell people what meaningful work is and how they can, can practice this in their, in their working lives and, and maybe in their personal lives as well, I, I suppose. Um, how do you do this? How do you? Uh, well, okay, so maybe it's good to, to explain. Um, although my company is called Meaningful Work, I cannot write you on a paper uh, what meaningful work is exactly. That makes um, sense. Yeah, but the, the thing is that um, in the end, um, meaningful, doing something meaningful, um, it's a personal thing. Um, the thing is that amongst People, like we can under understand from each other very quickly why something that you find meaningful, I can understand very quickly why you would find that meaningful. But in the end, it's still a personal thing. Probably I would make a different choice when it would be up to me. So what I try to do in these workshops, um, like there's, there's a bunch of aspects to it, but one of the aspects when it comes to orientation, for instance, career orientation, um, I try to... Um, to let people um, let people see, um, let people discover what they find meaningful themselves. And I guess I'm not so much explaining what meaningful work is, but I'm trying to make a point of it. <laughs> because in, in classical career coaching, it's always about who are you, uh, what do you want, what, what are you good at? And I think, good, but it's still in this survival mode, right? They'll teach yeah. you how to make job ladder or like and CVs, stuff like this. Uh, but I think there's always this aspect missing. It should also be about what is meaningful to you. So I try to stress that point. I try to make people see how important it is in their own lives. Um, and actually, I try to, to help them take the first steps towards, okay, now if, if, if this is to, find, to make them find out what is meaningful, and then if they found that out, I always also try to help them to take the first steps to create a um, career in that. And that is pioneering, <laughs> to be honest. It's not so much, um, people don't do it so much yet. So we have to like, I'm also constantly learning on, on how to guide people. And today you will give a workshop on Ikigai uh, to find uh, the right career for people, uh, like what people are good at, what they love, what they would like to contribute. Um, what kind of people uh, participate in those workshops? Mm. That's interesting. Well, that you, you, I guess you could say that uh, in that sense, I would always have a bl blind spot, right? Because I talk to the people who, who show up to my workshops. But um, if, if I would have to make a, an estimation of that, I, I, I always feel that the people that come to my workshops are critical people who would tend to have, uh, an, um, what do you say? I think they have their own way of thinking. They... They, they tend to make up their own minds uh, and also typically have a strong will. They want something. It's hardly ever that I have people in my workshop who say, well, if it's that career or that career, I, you know, it's all okay to me. It's typically the people who have a very strong sense that they want something with a strong drive. Boss already mentioned uh, Ikigai. Uh, I've heard it before. I think I've done a workshop where uh, we, we had to fill it in. Uh, can you explain uh, what Ikigai is and why you use it? Yeah. 
well, so Ikigai, um, is, it's, it's, in a, it's, um, it's a Japanese concept, uh, actually originating from the islands of Okinawa. Um, and they describe it as the reason to get out of bed in the morning, or to put it a bit, little bit more dramatic, the reason to be alive. Uh, and in, in these um, communes, in these villages where people are living there, they are able to express that very explicitly. So they would say, I'm the carpenter of the village and I fix all the houses and I'm the person to do that. That's why I'm here. Um, or I'm the mother of four children and it's my um, duty in life, my goal in life to raise these children the best way I can. Um, so it's, it's a way of describing your value. Um, now what has happened is that uh, after researchers uh, from the West, actually from National Geographic, after they found this out, um, described this, a lot of researchers and you know, um, investigators actually, they went to these islands, they described it, and at some point um, they tried to describe how you can get towards an ikigai, right? So this is the typical Western way of thinking. How can we rationalize that? Which parts, what does a... What, what are the, the, the parts of, um, of an ikigai? And eventually there was one guy who made up um, a Venn diagram, sort of explaining which components are part of ikigai. Now when you search ikigai on Google, this is all you find. Um, but I think it's a very good, um, I, I believe in the combination of that. I, I think it's very important to explain the, the roots of ikigai, but also this Venn diagram. I, I noticed that it, it puts a lot of, it sheds a lot of light on what you're searching. Well, I guess we are Western, um, <laughs> most of us probably. Uh, so it might help to, to think about it in that way so we understand where yeah. going from our feelings or our, might be more difficult to reach it. Yeah. Yeah, although I, I do, yeah, although I do tend to, I, I always tell people um, to, to use it in this way, but I, I also always tell people the more Eastern philosophy that this is also a process. So it's not about finding, you know, your ikigai today or tomorrow or the upcoming months. It's not about that. It's about realizing what the whole um, Venn diagram, how you would fill it out. So it's basically what you're good at, what you love, what you want to contribute to the world um, and, and what you can get rewarded for. Um, and it's, it's in this way, if you, if you manage to fill these circles in for yourself, then you can always go search for jobs or projects that, that are in line with your ikigai or come close to it. But it's not something that you just find like that. And, you know, so this part of the Eastern philosophy I tried to put in there. <laughs> it's not that you, you fill it in once and then you find your ikigai and say, oh, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. No, no. I think that sometimes in the Western world, we are able to tell ourselves some very naive stories on how life is. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yes. No. Uh... I think it makes sense that you're well. You're continuously learning and evolving, and yeah. you know, uh, finding new interests, discovering things you never knew you liked. So, it makes sense that your ikigai and what you want to do and contribute to the world changes with, with that. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. So, how do you? Um, we before this, we, we briefly talked about uh, students. Um, how do students take this workshop? Um, do you think it's good to start with this as a, as a student? Hmm. It's interesting that you asked me this question. It's actually never been asked to me before. 
And I do think it's, uh, it's an important question. Uh, to be honest, um, what I find that we sometimes forget is that you, you only learn what you like, what you love, and what you find important based on your experiences. Um, and although you have a lot of experiences when you're a student in your study life, but also in your personal life, um, what you're lacking is the professional experiences. Um, nonetheless, um, I do think it's a good thing to start with when you're a student, when you introduce it in the right way. So, yeah, if I would say to people, look, this is the Ikigai framework, um, you know, I explain you how it works and then we're going to, you know, go into that workshop and find out what all these uh, components mean to you. Uh, and if I would conclude with now f go find a job that fits that, um, then it would be, of course, the wrong way. But if I tell people that this can be, um, let's say, the dot on the horizon that gives you the direction to make your choices with and also something that, uh, you know, after you made your choice and you, you start working with something, uh, you know, that you can um, put again on the table and, and have an, another look at it when you're a few months ahead or a few years ahead. I think that's the way that you can actually use it. So I think it is definitely very usable for students as long as the expectations are set in the right way. Yeah, so it's more about setting something for the, you know, set it, putting a dot on the horizon, like you said, than yeah. Yeah. telling right now. It's, it's the, yeah. similar to what we said before that it's a process and not a one-time exactly. thing where you, uh, yeah. you fill it out and you're done. Yeah. You said something about that we're uh, kind of designed to do like uh, more active stuff, uh, finding food. <laughs> uh, work has changed now in the 21st century, so we're mostly seeing on screens. There's longer production lines in whole industries. Uh, do you also think that contributes to uh, having this crisis of meaningful work that were like this cog in the system, this long chain, because you, you yeah. said something about uh, Japan, uh, those people have more straightforward things to be busy with. Yeah, the thing is that um, we humans are, are able to think in concepts, right? And I think that's, you know, it already takes place in, this, uh, in these islands in Japan where communities are small but still it's, it's a whole concept one is a carpenter one is a chef so everybody has a function in that um, but I think in the end um, if this I wouldn't say the size of um, of this construction uh, matters per se maybe a little bit because let's say the the bigger the machine you're a cog of the more abstract um, your added value is so in a sense yeah probably it contributes uh, i think another part that contributes is just the fact that we lack uh, feedback well here comes the engineer in me but what sometimes we human beings miss is actual feedback now if uh if you look at climate change i think is a perfect example if we would have um if we would be experiencing a lot of storms and 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 droughts and and a lot of natural problems um, this feedback would really urge us to act differently way more. So all the, all the measures and all the things that we're doing, we're doing that based on our cognitive realization that we need to change something. Um, but the same thing happens in, 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 in your work, right? If you, if you do work that you do uh, on a computer and you send emails, 
that's really different from sending a letter that you write and you have to like fold and put in, a, in an envelope and really have to send. So you miss the, the, the physical feedback of doing that. But then in the end, all this work you do, also the PowerPoints that you create and like all those things you do, in the end, they also result in, in that what you get rewarded with is a change of digital numbers on your bank statement. You, you don't even, you know, in the old days, you would get a bag of money. <laughs> So you would actually feel that you earned something. You, you, it had weight. You could touch it. Yeah. And this is something that we, we don't experience anymore. This is actually, I don't know, I'm just, you know, this is just my, my, my personal view. I have no idea whether this, this makes any sense. But I think that even um, the popularity of um, um, cooking programs on TV, you know, I think that um, the popularity of these has grown immensely in the last 10 years and i think it has to do with this people are looking for some to do something that they actually experience this feedback of they want to smell it feel it taste it they want to experience it we we are human beings we want to experience we don't want to you know only see it is there some concrete advice you can give to uh to students uh, who are figuring out what they want to do i know a lot of our our fellow students sometimes have trouble finding their, uh, their meaning or why they're doing it. Can you give them some advice? You know, it's, 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 it's really hard to, to, to give this advice since everybody will have to discover his or her own path. But if there's something I would want to say is that um, don't, don't be afraid to experience and, and therefore you need to experiment. So we have this culture where uh, we feel that every step we take should be the right step and everything we do should be the right thing. Um, and the truth is, up until you start uh, working, for instance, you, 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 there's no possibility for you to know. So what you need to do is to try to fail and, and not care too much for that. So I think the minute you lose your fears, or at least... Maybe you don't lose them, but the minute you step up to your fears and you acknowledge them and you decide that you don't want to be led by your fears and your desire for security, um, that's the, the point where you start to be really free. And when you line up a certain set of experiences, uh, experiments in which you probably fail a lot, you will actually start to experience that it's not that bad that you fail. And in the end, the people that I saw um, who were most happy with their work were almost always people who have tried a lot and um, who actually really know for a fact that the thing that they're doing is the thing they want to be doing because they've been in other places, they've seen it, and they know it's not that thing. Um, I guess now when I'm thinking of it, what goes along with that is that um, in the end, um, we, we also tend nowadays to care a lot for what society and, and the people around us think of us. And I guess that's another thing um, that you should try to liberate yourself from. It's the number one um, remorse of people on their deathbeds to have lived a life that someone else wanted them to live, their parents usually, uh, or society. And if you can free yourself from that, if you can determine or at least start to search for what you really want to be doing, what you want to be doing in your life, 
Now, if you, if you can also free yourself from that, I think those two things make you so much more uh, able to take a valuable step. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unit Podcast. Join us next time for another conversation about life as a student of design. The Unit Podcast is a part of Unit Magazine, brought to you by the students of Lucid. For more content, go to unit-magazine.nl.